If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn in the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew there in front of you. Back in the day when only two of the five children were born to me and Kathy, that was Kate and Brooke, our little family of four was enjoying a a dinner together. Dinner's always lively with a, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. But while we were eating, there was a, a lull in the conversation. And at that moment, we all picked up our forks to take a bite. When suddenly Kate, the four-year-old, shrieks, Brookie, watch out! So we all drop our forks, spring to attention. I literally spring from my seat to look for this potential threat that's about to befall Kate. Well, when we can't determine what this source of pending catastrophe is, I I turn to Kate and say, Kate, what's wrong? And Kate catches her breath, wipes her brow. Who knows Kate? (laughs) You know I'm telling the truth. And she turns to Brooke with the the relief and the pride and the exhaustion that comes from having just spared someone's life and says, Brookie, you almost ate a mushroom. (laughs) Tis true. There on the fork was a piece of mushroom. Now, here's the sad part of that story. Before Kate shouted her fearful warning, Brooke had always eaten mushrooms. Without a thought. But Kate's fear bred fear and caused Brooke to reevaluate her previous faith. Hmm, I wonder what's wrong with mushrooms. If Kate's not going to eat mushrooms, I'm not going to eat mushrooms. And she didn't. Now listen, the impact of the fear doesn't stop there. It impacted the entire family. Because now, with both children hating mushrooms... Why bother? Because instead of picking out mushrooms of one plate, now you have to pick out mushrooms from both plates. So Kathy stopped putting mushrooms in her food. And guess what? I love mushrooms. (laughs) Did you know that mushrooms provide many of the nutritional attributes of produce as well as attributes more commonly found in meat, beans, and grains? Mushrooms are low in calories, fat-free, cholesterol-free, gluten-free, and very low in sodium and provide important nutrients. In 2013, the Mushroom Council, oh yeah, hosted, no, no, it gets better, hosted the Mushrooms and Health Summit. Mushrooms get their own summit. And they said from weight management to immunity to vitamin D, leading scientists and researchers have discovered new facts about mushrooms and what makes them unique dietary components. But no more mushrooms for me. Fear, fear drove something very good, very beneficial, right out of our family. And listen, that's, that's what fear does. Fear drives away that which is good, that which is beneficial. And that's why you and I can never give fear a foothold in our hearts. You and I can never give fear a foothold here in our church. We don't want to provide fear with an opportunity to cause us to reevaluate our faith and retreat in fear. We're studying this book book of Deuteronomy for all of this time. 
because the sermons contained in it, sermons inspired by God, preached by Moses, were intended to help people live well in the land that God was giving to them. They were intended so that the people would flourish and thrive and so that they would be a blessing to the nations around them. And that would only happen if they would be people of faith. And so it is for you and for me right here in the city of Charleston. If we will thrive as a church, if we will be a blessing to the city and to the world, you and I have to be people of faith. And that's what I want to talk about this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 20. So if you have your Bible open, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Beginning in verse 1. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you and your spirit to teach us your truth this morning. We need your spirit to help us evaluate our lives. We need your spirit to make us faithful people because, Lord, the longing of our hearts is to make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. And we believe that we will accomplish that only to the degree that we are faithful people and people of faith. So we look to you now to accomplish great acts of transformation in our hearts this morning, Lord. Make us even more faithful than we were when we came to this place today and to this word. So we submit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We may scratch our heads a little bit when we come to Deuteronomy chapter 20 and say, did we not just spend three weeks in Deuteronomy chapter 19 talking about the cities of God and how they are a reflection of the extent to which God is willing to go to protect human life. Well, yes, indeed, we did that. Well, then we come immediately to chapter 20, and we start talking about going to war. So how is chapter 20 consistent with preserving life? And that's a fair question. Let's think about it for just a minute. In a very short time, people of Israel gathered here on the plains of Moab will be on the offensive. Because when God says the word, they're going to strike camp. They're going to cross the Jordan River. And as soon as they get across the Jordan River, they will be in the promised land and their conquest will begin. And city by city, they will conquer the land that God promised to give them. Then they'll settle into that place. And Deuteronomy 20 has that in view. When when God's people are, are settled in the land, then they will be on the defensive. McConville in his commentary writes that in the ancient world, going to war was a seasonal thing, a regular activity of kings to expand their kingdom for the glory of their gods. And so war is always going to be a reality. 
always a presence in the life of the people of Israel. And war is always, and death is always going to be part of war. So how is it that a God who preserves life allows war or even calls for war? Well, the answer is because he is a God who preserves life. A guy owned a beautiful home. But his job relocated him to another city, and he decided that he was going to keep this beautiful home because the hope of his heart was that he would be able to return to it one day. So this guy comes back into town, and he decides to go visit this home that he loves. And so he he drives up to to the home, and he's shocked when he sees that his meticulously manicured lawn is no longer meticulously manicured. Weeds have overtaken it. There are trash bags everywhere. Well, his shock turns to horror when he goes inside the house. Holes in the wall, ripped, stained carpets, filth, an army, army of roaches crawling around. Cats everywhere. The smell indicates that, yes, indeed, there is no litter box in the house. The bathrooms are filthy and defiled, never been cleaned since the two years since he had moved out. So the owner of the home finds the tenants. And what do you think he said to them? Well, he said, hey, I was wondering if I could drop off my newborn baby and if you would babysit her for the weekend. No, that's not what the homeowner said. What did the homeowner say? Get out, get out. See, scripture in many ways and different places proclaims the the truth that's stated in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So picture the perfection of the Garden of Eden. And then consider what the nations of the world had done to this beautiful land that belongs to the Lord. We can't keep covering the same ground. And we talked about this topic back in Deuteronomy 7, but when we were in Deuteronomy chapter 7, some of you weren't even here at Redeemer. And let's be honest, some of you weren't even born when we were back in Deuteronomy. <laughs> that's a lot. We probably had 10 or 12 babies born since we started this sum. Anyway, that's another story. So let me recapitulate. The nations that inhabited the promised land They were some of the vilest and most perverse cultures that had lived. And their perverted and twisted practices had marred the land, land that was covered with the ashes of their own children that they had sacrificed in the fire to their idols. And so it's God's prerogative to reclaim his land. It's God's prerogative to decide to bless this land, to make it lush and beautiful and vibrant under the care of people who know him and love him. God has the prerogative not to drop off his tender newborn nation in the midst of all that perversity. God, because he loves life and because he seeks to protect life, he has the prerogative to destroy all who through their perversions seek to destroy or distort or mangle the life created. In his image. Turn over to verse 17 of chapter 20 in Deuteronomy. 
God says of these perverse nations, completely destroy them. Verse 18. Otherwise they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. See, God gets to say no more. No more of your perversions in this place, my place. No more perverting truth, my truth. No more perverting life, life created in my image. Verse 3 of the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, which, by the way, is not a Christmas carol at all. It's based on Psalm 98 and is written to celebrate the second coming of Christ, but that's another story. That verse captures this idea beautifully. No more, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. No more. He comes to make his blessing flow. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. See, the curse found its way and entrenched itself in the promised land. And God gets to say, no more. God's going to place his people here in this land. And through the people he places here in this land will come the blessing, capital B, that will reverse the curse and drive it from all creation. No more sin. No more death. No more, no more, no more. Get out. (laughs) Make way for life. Make way for blessing. The blessing is Jesus. And so God gets to protect the people. God gets to protect the land through whom Christ will come. And so the motivation guiding their wars of conquest will also guide their battles of defense, and that is to protect life. Protect these people as long as they are faithful to the one and only true and living God. Protect them so long as they do not bow before idols and become as perverse as the people they drove out. Look in verse 1. When you go to war against your enemies. When you go to war. Moses does not say here, if you go to war. He says, when you go to war. Because battles will always mark the lives of God's people in this world. I want to say that again because it's true. Battles will always mark the lives of God's people in this world. So since the battle for life is on, and it is on, then God's people better know how to fight. Where is life found now? For us, easy. Life is found in Christ. He is the life. And the words that lead to that life and the words that preserve that life are found in the gospel. And so you and I as individuals and a church are always going to find ourselves engaged in a battle. It's a battle for life. It's a battle for the gospel. That battle is going to take different forms, just as it did for the people of ancient Israel. Sometimes that battle will be internal because we have an enemy. And he seeks to steal the gospel right out of our hearts so that we don't really truly believe the gospel. We don't really truly live by the gospel. We don't preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Preach the grace of the gospel, the compassion of the gospel, but also the judgment of the gospel. So if the enemy is victorious and we're not living by the gospel or believing the gospel, not very much reason for a battle. You're not going to do too much damage. But those who love the gospel, do you love the gospel? 
Because if you love the gospel, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to. So where are those battles in your life? And how are you fighting those battles? And what's your protection for your heart and for your mind? The internal battle is also within the family. It can be among us. Sometimes we lose sight of this fact. We are all in this together. Do you believe that? We are all in this together. You're not very enthusiastic, so you're going to say it with me. You ready? We are all in this together. One more time. We are all in this together. And that's the truth. We worship the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We share common goals, and that is to live by the gospel and to share that gospel. Our only enemy is the one who opposes those goals. So sometimes we need to take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. And remember that we are working toward the same thing. We are working to realize the same goal. So how do you view those around you? Let me tell you, they're not foes. They are partners in the gospel. The battle's going to be external, not just in here and in here, but it's out there as well. Just like it was when the kings of the nations that surrounded Israel came and did battle against them. They fought for their gods. And you and I are deceived if we don't think that our culture has gods, because it does. And the gods of our culture are going to fight. Here's just one battle. Jesus says this, deny yourself, die to self. What does the culture's God say? You know, indulge yourself, live for self. Am I lying? No. So there you have a very real battle. A battle between what Jesus says and between what our culture says. And what are the consequences? If the God of consumerism should happen to lose the battle for you, what would the casualties be? Well, there'll be a lot of boarded up storefronts. And when self-denial wins over self-indulgence, stock values may plummet. And when stock values plummet, For sale signs go up on the side of luxury boats. For sale signs go in the windows of luxury cars. And for sale signs go on the front lawn of multi-million dollar mansions. Please don't hear me saying I'm against capitalism. Can I say that again? I'm not against capitalism. That's not my point. I'm being extreme. Just to point out that the stakes are high for the God, a God of this world. And that's why the battle is fierce. The battle is real, both offensive and defensive. And life is what is at stake. So let's move on and see how God instructs his people to fight this bless, this battle. What will bring them success? How will they overcome? What's a principle for victorious fighting? Let's consider just one in the remainder of our time this morning. And that is faith. Always faith and never fear. Always faith and never fear. And I suppose the degree to which we dilute that superlative, always, is the degree to which we'll be victorious in battle. If number 10 represents perfect faith and perfect victory for God's plan, not our plan, but for God's plan. And if zero represents uh, complete failure and fear. As much as we add fear to that, the number will go this way. We we drop a 
a drop or two of fear in and the 10 goes to a nine and then to an eight and the victory isn't quite as great. And when we begin to dump fear into faith, we end up at two and one and zero. Without faith, there can be no victory. Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Look again in verse one. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Imagine being part of the the family, the nation of Israel. You've got no army. It's just a bunch of volunteers and it's all infantry. They're all on foot. They've got no horses. They've got no chariots. The battle is always going to be overwhelming to them. And so the senses of the warriors, what they see, what they hear as those horse hooves come thundering toward them, their senses are going to say, flee, surrender. The enemy's advantage is too great. What's the only thing that could possibly keep you on the battlefield in that moment? It's faith, isn't it? Faith that you do not see who is greater than what you do see. Faith that reaches back in time and remembers what God has done. You could be a 25-year-old young buck, strapping, standing on the plains of Moab. And you know the story? Your grandfather was carrying your father and holding your grandmother's hand as they fled from Egypt. All their possessions loaded down upon them. And they hadn't gotten very far out of Egypt when they looked around and what was happening. A world-class army, the Egyptian army was pursuing them for what they didn't know. To re-enslave them, to kill them. What are you going to do, run? Well, it's hard to be very nimble. You got a baby in your arms and load down with all these possessions. But all they could do was keep moving. So they keep moving. And then what happens? Suddenly in front of them is what? What is it? You know, the Red Sea. The Red Sea in front of them. The soldiers coming behind them. What are they going to do? What did grandma, what did grandpa experience in that moment? Did they look at each other, a final embrace? This is it, honey. They didn't have very much experience with God. So who among them would ever have dreamed that God would blow, blow his breath and the Red Sea would part? Who among them would ever dream that they would walk through the Red Sea, not in the mire and the muck of the mud, but on dry ground. And who would have thought or believed that when they were safely on the other side, that those waters would return to their place and completely enclose the Egyptian army? What odds would the grandfather have given when the army was coming behind and the Red Sea was in front of them that he and his wife and family would ever be free? that an army would be defeated and that neither he nor any of his friends would ever have to raise a sword to fight. What was seen, the army, the horses, the sea, was no match for what was unseen, right? The one and only true and living God. And that's all the 25-year-old had to know before he went into battle. If you could be any person in Scripture... Who would it be? Have you thought about that? It's hard to pick just one. There's so many that you would like to be, but there's one one guy that I would always like to be. We don't even know his name. 
He's just called the servant of a man of God. And he's a young man. And that's not why I want to be him. Well, maybe just a little. Maybe just a little. He's a servant of Elisha. And Elisha had enraged the king of of Aram. Because the king of Aram, he's one of those kings that went to war against Israel and he wanted to win. So he's always setting up these ambushes. So every time he would set up an ambush, God would reveal to Elisha, the prophet, what the plan was. And Elisha would go and tell the king of Israel. So every time the king of Israel was ready and the ambush was thwarted and the king of Aram was enraged. How does he know this? He says, well, it's that prophet Elijah. The king says, go find him. Go find him because I want to send my army and I'm going to get him. And so they find that Elisha is in Dothan. And so sure enough, the king of Aram sends his troops, his horses, his chariots, the whole shebang to get Elisha. So here, this person that I want to be, okay, the guy that I want to be, the servant of the man of God goes out of the house, the tent, whatever, one morning. And he looks and he sees that there are troops and horses and chariots everywhere. So what does he do? He starts to cry. And he runs back in. Oh, sir, Elijah, what are we going to do? The young man cried. Elisha answered, don't be afraid. For there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, Open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the eyes of that young man. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. And that's why I want to be this servant. I want to see these chariots of fire. I want you to see these chariots of fire. Elisha knew that they were there without seeing them. And perhaps that's why we should rather be Elisha, because he didn't need to see them to believe. But faith told them him that they were there, and so he did not fear. Elisha didn't flee. He just prayed to the Lord, and the Lord delivered him. See, faith is the only thing that can keep you and me on the battlefield, especially when the odds are against you. Faith says, the Lord is with me. Faith says, the Lord is with us. God, who said to Moses in Exodus 33, my presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. And Moses responded, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. See, that's what faith says, right? Without you, Lord, why bother? I don't know if you've noticed that The work of building the kingdom of God and extending it into the city, it takes a lot of faith. And I would say that more often than not, when churches decide, hey, we really need to extend the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom, they first start counting their resources. And what happens every time you start counting your resources? (laughs) Every time, right? And when somebody starts pulling their lip... You know, they're in trouble. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. We don't have enough money. Oh, we can't. We don't have enough money. Oh, we don't have enough people. Oh, we can't. We don't have enough people. We can't. We can't. We can't. Listen, we got it all backwards. You ready? Here's what we do. Here's the right order. 
we follow the call of God and God will provide the resources. You believe that? We don't start first with the resources. We start first with the call of God and trust him to provide what we need. So when we're convinced of God's call, what do we do? We move out in faith and we trust God. If we're willing only to do what we already have enough resources to do, that's boring, it's unimaginative, and it's incredibly limiting. But if we say, ha, here we are, Lord, and we are willing, give us the vision, and we will move out, and we will trust you to provide, when that's our attitude, I know that we will accomplish great things for the kingdom of God and for the sake of the gospel in every part of our life. You know from what Kurt said this morning, we're getting ready to roll out this new plan for Christian education for the entire church. It's a vision that's going to require a lot of resources, resources that we have not yet identified, which means there's going to be a knock on your door. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I'm so not kidding. But we believe this is the way to build the church, to advance the kingdom, to make our families strong, to help them obey the call of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, to talk about the Lord when you rise up, when you go to sleep, to talk about the Lord when you walk along the road with your children, and when you sit down, talk about the Lord. This is what we think will accomplish that. And so you know what? With faith, we're going to move forward and we're going to trust that the Lord is going to provide for us takes a lot of faith to put all your eggs in the community group basket like we do here at Redeemer. Because we we believe that these groups are actually places where people can be nurtured in their faith and grow in their love and their knowledge of the Lord. We believe that community groups are a place where people can find family within this larger family. We believe that the community groups are places where people can link arms and join hands and move out together to do mission and ministry here in in our communities and in the city of Charleston. We believe that. So we're investing in community groups, resources we don't have. We need more groups. We need more leaders. We don't have them. But we're going to trust that the Lord will provide. Faith says, Lord, you will provide. And we can go right on down the list. Faith is required to believe that we will actually make a difference for Jesus' sake in this city. That because we are here, the city of Charleston will become a more just city. Because we are here, the city of Charleston will be a more compassionate city. Fear says, why bother? What difference can we make? It takes even greater faith to believe anyone would ever come to faith in a Presbyterian church. Fear says, leave it to the Baptists. <laughs> Just let the Baptists take care of it. Faith says, no, no, Lord. You do it through us. We don't start by counting the resources. We start by following the call of God. Look in verse 2. Who is it in that verse that addresses the army before they go into battle? A priest. (laughs) Who wants a priest to talk to? (laughs) These troops are ready to fight and who do they trot out? The priest. Yeah, that's what God says to do. And what does the priest do when he addresses the army. He reminds them of who they are. He reminds them of who their God is. And he reminds them of what their God wants them to do. And that's why I stand here this morning to remind you and me who our God is. Who is he? 
to remind us of our identity. We are children of the living God. To remind us that God has given a mission to us as individuals and as a church. And we need to be about the mission that he has given to us. When the Red Sea was behind them and they were safely on the other side, Moses and the people began to sing a song. It's in Exodus chapter 15. It's a song that celebrates the defeat of the Egyptian army and their safe delivery through the Red Sea. And there's a noun that's strangely missing from that song. I would ask you what it is. You'll never guess. The, the noun is army. Army is never mentioned anywhere in that song. But God is mentioned. And God is called a man of war. Exodus 15, 3. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And throughout that song, the power and strength of this warrior God, that's what is front and center. I am not advocating irresponsibility. I've been told many times through my, what's becoming a, a rather long ministry, now prayer. Remember, Jesus says to count the cost. Count the cost before you build that tower. Otherwise, you won't finish and everybody will laugh and say, oh, you didn't finish the tower that you started. Count the cost. All right. Jesus said that. But if that's the only or that we're going to row with, what's going to happen? We're going to go around and around and around in a circle saying, count the cost, count the cost. But we're not going to move forward. Anyway, that's taking that out of context. Jesus is talking about discipleship and counting the cost of following him. But Jesus also said this, if you have faith, the size of mustard seed, say to the mountain, be moved, and the mountain will be moved. So I'm just saying, we better have that oar in the water too, don't you think? And then with both of those oars in the water, maybe we can begin to move forward. Move forward. Always faith, never fear. Always faith, never fear. I'm going to end this sermon. And God's people said, Amen! <laughs> Going back to that song in Exodus 15 that Moses sang. Listen to it. Lord, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. (laughs) Where does the fear belong? The fear belongs with the Philistines and the Edomites and the Moabites and the Canaanites. Fear does not belong with the people of God. With God's people, it is always faith and never fear. The fear belongs to those who don't know the one and only true and living God, who don't live for him, who oppose his will. They're the ones that should tremble. They are the ones that should be afraid. But for you and for me, it's always faith and never fear. Answer this question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he is for us, you know. 
Jesus proves to you and to me that God is for us. Anyone who will die on a cross in our place is for us. Jesus is for us. He is with us. He is in us. And since that is true, absolutely, how silly it seems now for us to be afraid. So by faith, let's make a difference in this city and in this world for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Lord, we know that the battle for believers of all time, Old Testament and New, it's always this battle for faith. Will we trust? Will we believe? Will we place our faith in what we do not see? That's the battle every time. So Lord, I pray that all your past faithfulness, what a privilege is ours to stand 2,000 years after just the cross of Christ and see your faithfulness to your church and to your people. Father, we have much more than just a foundation to build on. We have an entire cathedral built by your mighty acts and deeds at which we can look and say, this is our God. It's who he is. It's what he can do through people who trust and then obey. So Lord, I pray your blessing on us. First as individuals, for those who are people of fear this morning, who tend toward that in our life. Lord, expose that fear to their hearts and and cause them to be people of faith. He calls us to be a church of faith, Lord, that's eager to be listening for your voice and speaking your truth to us through your word, realizing that we are a a unique people in a unique place. There, There are things that only we can do because of how and where you have positioned us and how you have composed us as a people. And so I pray that we will be listening in faith to see what it is that you would have us to do. And Lord, when you reveal that plan for us and when we are confident that it comes from you, I pray that you would help us, the first thing we do, to be to follow you and then count the resources, Lord. Follow first and trust you to provide. Help us fight this battle in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.